which is really significant for us to pay attention to because these two men and or their parents were spared because of Queen Esther. They were still in, up in the in, in Persia area, which is old Babylon. But these people, if their parents, because again, if you know the story of Ezra, there's a, a plot, I'm going to give it away here, um, to kill all the Jews. What's the matter? Am I not on? What? You're kidding me. Now you guys are shackling me here once again that I can't walk around. I'm going to have to fix that. Okay, I'm going to turn off this one. Is that cool? Man, I was just getting fired up. Man. I, was, I was about to start sweating like a televangelist, and I see somebody raising their hands. like, why are you raising your hand? I don't raise hands here. Well, when we worship, yes, but be that as it may, where was I? <laughs> Esther, chapter 2. Let's begin here. <laughs> Just threw everything off. Verse 1 says, After these things, when the wrath of King Ahasuerus subsided, he remembered Vashti, what she had done and what had been decreed against her then the king's servants who attended to him or attended him said let beautiful young virgins be sought for the king and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom that they may be gathered that they may gather all the beautiful young virgins from uh, to shushan the citadel into the women's quarters under the custody of Haggai, the king's eunuch, custodian of the women, and let beauty, beauty pe uh, preparations be given them. Then let the young women, the young woman who pleases the king, be queen instead of Vashti. This thing pleased the king, and he did so. It's hard to forget, well, if you were here last week or if you've listened to the study since, it's hard to forget these things when it says, after these things. In other words, after what happened in chapter 1. Um, again, if you weren't here, you can go back and listen to that online. But it was the third year of King Ahasuerus's reign which makes it about 483 B.C. Again, I give you a lot of these numbers because it's interesting to me, um, all these dates. So in, in, in that time period, in the first chapter, and all the little craziness that goes on, all the partying that was happening and all, was the year 483 B.C. When we start chapter 2 here in Esther, we are now in 480 B.C. So we have gone about almost three years, three and a half years, when this chapter is starting, which is interesting because in 480 B.C. is when Ezra was born, exactly. So in these three and a half years or so, maybe a little less, they have passed since Queen Vashti has been deposed. And it is now at a point where his wrath is subsiding. It's like this guy was mad, and he stayed mad, and, and, and he just lived mad for about three years. Now, what we don't always hear in the story, but what historians tell us, is that in that time frame, since she's been deposed, he, he attempted to go and take over Greece, and it was ill-fated. In other words, it just didn't happen. This campaign came to nothing, and he came back humiliated after this, this ill-fated ill uh, campaign to take over Greece, and he comes back, and instead of being honored, he is totally humiliated. And so, like his father who tried to do that and also failed, he is humiliated as well. And so you can bet that this king, King Ahasuerus, for the last three years has been really, really frustrated in life. <laughs> he has been mad. I don't know if you've ever been. I, I, there's some people that just live mad. That's just their life. It's like 
they got baptized in in grape or, or, or in lemon juice or something like that. It's like, man, especially Christians, man, that they would always have the sour puss on them. And you're going, dude, man, rejoice. And they're going, for what? And it's like, you know, to live in that kind of life for a long time. Well, that's this guy here. He is frustrated with life. Nothing seems to be going his way. And, and now for three years, he goes to try to, you know, to try to get grease. He comes back humiliated and he basically comes home to an empty palace because Queen Vashti is not there anymore. And it seems like at this time, he remembers Queen Vashti. And it's almost like all of a sudden he notices, I don't have a queen around here. And I hate life right now. I tried to go take over another country, and I didn't even get that. And he comes home, and he's just frustrated. And it's almost as if, man, he is just pondering life, and he remembers Queen Vashti. And it almost seems like there's, there's this affection within him as he's remembering and maybe even rekindling this, this, this affection that he had for this queen. Again, man, it tells us in chapter 1 that she was beautiful, and that's what got him in trouble. He wanted to show her off to all his guys, all his friends, and she says, no way, Jose, or, that, or whatever his name is. No way. That's enough. And, and so he, he puts her away, but like I said, she doesn't get killed because some suggest she could have been pregnant at the time with his successor. And so she's probably somewhere in the kingdom, maybe not in the palace, but he hasn't seen her for all this time. And all of a sudden, he's remembering this thing. And when I say that he comes home to an empty castle or an empty palace, probably, more than likely, that is not the case. He has all these servants, he has all these people, but he also has a lot of women there. There is hordes of women that are in the palace, as we will learn, because he has concubines at his beck and call. Whenever he needs a woman, he is there. But for some reason, even though he has all these ladies and all these women at his beck and call, he misses his queen. Because there's a difference there. There's a difference between love and sex. There's a vast difference, and, and it's almost as if this guy could have all the pleasure he wants, but he does not have the affection he needs as a man. And again, I, I know what guys, I mean, guys are dogs and battles and all this stuff, and it's like, ah, dog, but there's a sensitive side in men, too. And this guy here, we see that even here, that even though he has everything, except Greece now, <laughs> and Vashti, he... <laughs> That poor guy, man, he's frustrated, he's mad. It's almost like he has all these passing pleasures that he could have any woman he wants that's in his harem already or in his, at his beck and call, but there's nothing like a lasting and, and loving and lifetime relationship with someone who you can be one with. And even though, again, most of these kings, they had their queen, but they had a lot of women. Again, for some reason, he really adored Vashti. And, and it's almost as if he is realizing and regretting the stupid decision that he had made in his drunken stupor. Note to self, don't get drunk anymore. And don't make life-changing decisions when you are drunk because you regret it afterwards. Again, for three years, this guy has been upset and frustrated, and now he's coming to a point going, what the heck, man? What's going on in my life, man? I'm coming home. I could call whoever I want, but I don't have my queen. I don't have the woman that I adored and that I loved because of a stupid decision. It says, then the king's servants who attended to him. And these guys are probably the same guys who had given them advice before about deposing this queen. They are there attending to him. You could, you could kind of figure out that these guys have been going, man, this guy's been a grouch. 
He's been upset, man. And it's like, give him another woman. Give him another woman. It's like, that's not working, man. We got to go and look for new women because he has all these women. But again, these guys are attending to him. And I imagine, again, they're come, he, he's come back and, you know, they understand he lost the battle. They're probably trying to cheer him up. Hey, maybe next time we'll try it again. We'll do this. They're attending to him, trying to lift him up, trying to encourage him. But they have another great idea. <laughs> and in, in a sense, they have to act quickly here. Because it almost seems that they could see this glim, glimmer in his eye for Queen Vashti. As he's remembering him. Now, we, we need to understand that if, in fact, this guy was remembering and pondering her, going, you know what, man, I'm the king. I could change this law and bring her, bring her back because I miss her that these guys were probably afraid that if she is reinstalled, their heads are probably going to roll. Because, again, they are the ones that, that deposed her in the first place. And so their great plan, after seeing all this, coming to him, it says, let beautiful young virgins be sought for the queen. Again, knowing the king as they do and his sensual appetites, his proclivities to, to ladies, um, these counselors are suggesting that they assemble a new harem, apart from all the other harems he might have, but they are to compose a new harem of these new ladies, these new virgins from the entire um, empire. Now, we learned last week the vastness of this empire was from India all the way down to Ethiopia. And basically in modern day, it's like from the, 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 the far east Pakistan getting right to India all the way across into Turkey and coming south through Judea or Judah and, and down into like Egypt and, and Ethiopia. That is as big as this place is. And it tells us that there was 127 provinces that were a part of this kingdom. And so you could imagine that in this new harem, there will be at least 127 young ladies but they probably also picked the runner-up and maybe the third-place winner as well. And so now you're, you're, you're potentially you're looking at about 150 women, almost 400 women that could possibly be compiled from all of the kingdom, bringing them together so that he could have his choice and try all of them if he wants until he picks the perfect one that will be the queen and take over Vashti's place. Now, I don't mean to make this sound like a beauty contest because it wasn't a beauty contest. But I can't imagine that they just picked one from each province. I imagine that they look for all the beauties. They look for all these women, and they're trying to bring them all in. And they all are vir young virgins. And when you think that, you're thinking, okay, mid-20s. No, they were probably mid-teens to mid-20s. That's probably what you're looking at at this time frame. It doesn't tell us how old Ahasuerus is, but he's probably twice their age as the king. But he is compiling all these women to come in. And so, again, the winner is not going to be rewarded with some trophy or some kind of tr title um, and then be able to move on their merry way. That's not what go what's going to happen with these young ladies. They were being chosen to be a queen. They were going to have a chance to sit on the throne. But before any of that happens, they would have to please the king or be pleasing to the king. And these young women, again, it, it, when you're thinking about this story, you're going, man, this is sad. Because these are young women who are being drafted, who are being taken. I don't think that any of these young ladies, maybe some of them are, but I doubt that, that they are enlisting for this harem. To be a part of this whole thing that is go coming down, this edict that has gone out basically to start grabbing all these ladies and bringing them in. That's, so, so again, it, it, it's, 
it's not something that they, I don't think, desired as young women to become part of this royal harem. In other words, every night, this king would have a new partner, a new young lady. And in the morning, he would send her back. And she would join the rest of now the concubines, not just the harems, the young lady virgins. Now they have now become a concubine because he has had sexual relationships with her. And she is in a different place now. They are, she has now basically become his property. And, that, and, and so they move her into a different place. And the one that pleases the king more than likely will become the queen. Now, you have to wonder. Again, I don't know if the edict went out first or, or they just sent out the news, keep it on the down low, and you just start looking for ladies or young ladies. But you have to wonder how many of these young ladies hid themselves from these officers as they caught wind of what was happening. As they started thinking, man, I, 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 I might not have all the looks, but I don't know what they're looking for. But I do not want to be a part of this. As these guys were showing up and abducting them, basically, taking them, how many broken-hearted moms and dads had to lie to these guys going, nope, I don't have a, a, a young virgin. I don't have one of those around denying that they had any daughters of that age. But how many lucky guys married the girl of their dreams or the girls that were way out of their leagues because these girls are going, shoot, I'll get married right now. You, Budster, man, I remember you from grade school. Come on, I'll marry you right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, just so they're not young virgins anymore. Just so these things don't happen. How many of these people, how many of these young ladies were scared to death to be taken away from their mom and dad, from the home that they, they desired, from maybe the, 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 the future husband that they were going to be married to, that because of their looks, because they looked beautiful, that they were going to come up and be taken away. <clears throat> and again, I think when we often think of harems, you know, we have these pictures that might be on movies or, or, or paintings or whatever of these ladies just lounging around and stuff. And, and I don't know how all that works, but it wasn't as lucrative as people would think because these ladies, once they were part of this harem, they had no rights whatsoever. They belonged to the king. And it wasn't like they can just go do whatever they want. They were locked up, basically, and they were veiled, and they were put in a, in a place that, that basically, you, you just, if the king ignored you, you never had relationships with anybody like that anymore. It's a, it's a sad situation of what's going on here. And, and as I study this, and as I look at this, I'm thinking, man, Lord, I, why, why, why is it coming about this way? And again, that when you start getting into the sovereignty of God, I have no clue how that works. But God understands exactly what's going on. And these bad to me, I'm looking at it as a bad situation for these young ladies, for the parents, for the boyfriend, for whoever, that, that their young daughters would be taken out of here. And again, to have or, or be destined to a life of loneliness if the king never even looked at you ever again. To be shut up in this royal harem. Was it honorable? I don't know. Maybe some thought it was. Was it happiness? Probably not. <laughs> to me, it's just sad that these women are being treated this way. Now, even the job of a of a eunuch in this sense, you know? Haggai, the, 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 the king's eunuch, and we see several units, eunuchs along the way here. And again, a eunuch was not probably a job that you volunteered for either because a eunuch was emasculated by castration so that he would not be a threat to the king whom he served. And it probably wasn't this wimpy little guy. They were probably these strapping young men that they say, you, you're going to be one of my eunuchs. It's like, ah, you know, 
And it's like, but that's what they got. Guys like this that would be able to control and take care of what the king wanted without being a threat to his wives or to his, to his concubines, to his harem, that, that they would have no desire for a woman. And so again, I don't know if guys like, man, I want to grow up to be a eunuch. Um, I don't know if that was the case in that sense. But again, here's another sad situation that you're seeing that these men are being put in these positions as well. Now, in verse 5, it says, In Shushan, the citadel, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jer'ar, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite. Kish had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity who had been captured by uh, Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. And Mordecai had brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother, and the young woman was lovely and beautiful. When her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So it was. When the king's command and decree were heard, and when many young women were gathered at Shushan, the citadel, under the custody of Haggai, that Esther was also taken to the, house, to the king's palace, into the care of Haggai the custodian of the women. Now the young woman pleased him, and she obtained his favor. So he readied, readily gave beauty preparations to her besides her allowance. Then seven choice maidservants were provided for her for the king's palace, and he moved her and her, and her maidservants into the best place in the house of the women. Esther had not revealed her people or family, for Mordecai had charged her not to reveal it. And every day Mordecai paced in front of the court of the women's quarters to learn of Esther's welfare and what was happening to her. So now we get introduced to one of the main characters, two of the main characters, Mordecai and Esther. Mordecai's name is mentioned 58 times in this book, in these 10 chapters. Seven of those times he is identified as a Jew. His ancestor, Kesh, was among those Jews who had been taken in Babylon or from Babylon in the second deportation there was three of them in the second deportation he was taken with his family in 597 BC around the time of Jeconiah or Jehoiakim Chin, um, in some translations it's interesting because King, King Cyrus of Persia he had entered into Babylon um, in 536 39 BC, and then the next year after that, after he took over the Babylonian kingdom, he gave permission to the Jews that they could return to the land, and about 50,000 of them responded to that invitation to return back down to Jerusalem, as we learned in Ezra chapters 1 and 2. In the following years, other Jews would also return to Jerusalem but for some reason, Mordecai and his family, they, they decided to remain in Persia, in the capital, where they were at in Shushan. Again, not all of them had to go back if they didn't want to. And it seems that while the Babylonians made life difficult for the captives, for these Jews, especially when the Persians came into power, they were more lenient to these people. 
and allowed them to, to work and to prosper and, and to get ahead even in that region. And so many of them decided to stay there, maybe not being under captivity per se anymore, but just living in that faraway land and making that their home. And that's who, who, who Mordecai and his family are, that they decided not to come back even though they had every opportunity to do that. <clears throat> Mordecai would eventually hold an official position in the government, as we see at, at, a little later in chapter 2, that he will sit by the gates. But more than likely, at this time, it tells us that he was pacing back and forth out in front, so he doesn't have any position right now. More than likely, when Esther gets coronated, she gives him a position so that he could be in a little bit more. Uh, to find out exactly what's going on in that, in that arena. Now, when I think of Mordecai and, and Esther, it tells us that they are cousins. But, but when I look at this, I, because of his fatherly figure, I always consider him more of an uncle, that he was probably a little older than Esther was. It'd just be a little awkward to have a daughter about the same age as you. Uh, and so that, again, it could be, but I'm just telling you that's kind of the way I see it, um, because if I call her, I think last week I called him her uncle, and somebody says, hey, wait a minute, and it's like, yeah, I know, I know. So if I call him the uncle, it's the cousin, but be that as it may. Um, where was I? Um, so we, we, we hear of Mordecai, and, and again, he, there's this lineage that takes him back to when they were deported um, up there, and Esther is, now comes on the scene. The name Esther is her Persian name, and it means star, but her Hebrew name is Hadassah, and it means myrtle, and it's interesting as I was reading, that a myrtle tree bears flowers, tiny little flowers that look like little stars. As I'm looking it up on the internet, that's the two trees that we have right outside our, our doors here. That's a little myrtle tree there. And so I had Denise say, hey, go get me some flowers. I want to check them out. And sure enough, they kind of had a little design in there. Anyways, it says that this young woman was lovely and beautiful. To say that she was lovely and beautiful is an understatement. Because when you look at those two words in the Hebrew, I, I just want to kind of condense maybe what it, that would mean. It means that she was like um, drop-dead gorgeous. <laughs> she was like jaw-dropping, drooling type kind of lady that guys would go. Kind of a kind of lady that... that you would probably get slapped from your wife for looking at, going, how dare you? It's like, what? Jeez. Um, both in figure and in appearance, it says. And so she was, she was beautiful and lovely in every sense of the word. Because when you look these two words up, man, it's just constantly telling you about just this, this figure. And so... She's a beautiful woman that is taken into the king's harem. And again, you have to wonder how many of these young ladies maybe regretted being born so beautiful. Because at this point, again, as, as we all know, looks are a lot in, in society. In every society, it's always been that way. And, 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 and for somebody to be so like, oh, yes, look at me, and, and to come to this point going, man, I wish I wasn't. So beautiful. How many of these young ladies regretted that? But one of the key elements of the story is the fact that the people of Shushan did not know that Mordecai and Esther were Jews, which is kind of interesting. The palace personnel doesn't find out about Mordecai until chapter 3, that he is a Jew. And the king doesn't learn about Esther until the second banquet that she has in chapter 7. And so, again, you're going, man, these people are keeping their, who they really are on the down low. And so the, the, it kind of, you, you read that and you're going, man, it kind of just presents some kind of a problem 
in, in one sense, because if Mordecai and Esther were passing themselves off as Persians, then more than likely they were not keeping Jewish law. They were not kosher, if you will, in the things that they were to do and what they were to eat. They were not, in essence, obeying the law of Moses. Because if they were, in any sense of the word, they would have been found out that they were Jews. And so, apparently, they're not following dietary laws. They're not separating themselves in any way, shape, or form. They're not worshiping any different than the Persian people. And so their true nationality is kind of being hidden so that they are not exposed to who they are. And had Esther practiced any of her Jewish faith during her year of preparation, because again, even the, the, the eunuch has no clue who this young woman is, nor does she ever say anything. Nor the, during the first four years of her reign as being king, nobody finds out about this. I, I think anybody has the right to do this, to conceal his or her true uh, nationality. It's, it's not a sin. It, wasn't, it, it didn't seem like it was wrong here. It never seems like anybody asked them if they were. So Mordecai and, and Esther had every right to just go with the flow. And if people thought that these two cousins were Persians or, or Gentiles, that was the conclusion that they came to. They themselves, it never shows us here, that they lied about who they were. They just never let it be known. It was almost like, don't ask, don't tell. It is unfortunate, in a lot of ways, as you're looking at this, that Esther and Mordecai didn't acknowledge the God of Israel the God of their fathers. In the midst of this pagan society, but maybe, and just maybe, that's why the name of God is not mentioned in this book, because of the way they were living. But that does not mean that God was not working in this whole situation. Because even when we're not faithful, God remains faithful. In, in our lives. I'm not saying that we have to walk around as secret saints or closet Christians, but even if you do that, God's still bigger than what you're trying to hide. And so God is still on the move in the situation. Again, when his sovereignty comes into play here, I don't quite comprehend how and why he is allowing all this to happen to this, this young woman, but not just this young woman, all these young women, but this woman in particular. And it's interesting because when you're looking at these two characters, Mordecai and Esther, and you contrast them with Daniel and his friends, you look at, at the story of Daniel and his friends, and it says that they were really careful, even as they were in Babylon, in Babylon they were really careful to obey the law while they were living there. Against all odds, even if it meant death. They were willing to do whatever it took to, to glorify or to, to acknowledge the God of their fathers. And the Lord blessed them for their faithfulness. And so on the other hand, you, you, you see that, or we don't see the faithfulness in that respect with Mordecai and Esther, and yet still God desires and, and, and uses these two people and accomplishes his purpose. And again, it goes back to God being faithful regardless whether you are or not. Again, our heart's desire should be that we would always be faithful to God, that we would not be ashamed of the gospel, that we would desire to be a light among people. But when that is not the opportunity, or for some reason you shy away, it does not mean that God is not going to still work on your behalf. Because he is at work, whether you're at work or not. But it doesn't give us the excuse that we should not be. And, and, and more of the interesting facts here is, is the, 
not only was that serious, their lifestyle of what they were doing and the problems that, again, we can look at and go, man. But the fact is that this young woman is going to be part of a harem. And she will ultimately be married to a Gentile, which the law of Moses prohibits. She will have illicit sex before she's married. Again, it's forced in this sense. And she will be in a mixed marriage. As we, It's interesting because when we covered Ezra and Nehemiah, both of them dealt with this situation. To, to break these families apart, to chastise those who have been married to Gentiles. And yet we see God somehow allowing this poor young Jewish girl to become the wife of this king. And a worshiper, this king, this, a worshiper of, of pagan gods. And so in verse 8 it says, So it was when the king's command and decree were heard, and when many of the young women were gathered at Shushan, the citadel, under the, the custody of Haggai, the, that Esther was also taken to the palace. Just as Joseph found favor in Egypt, and just as Daniel found favor in Babylon, so too Esther finds favor in Shushan. And it is this, this, this eunuch who sees something different in her. As all these ladies are coming through, again, maybe it's her beauty that attracts him. Because, again, even though he can't do anything, he can still see. And it goes, she's a knockout. She's something, something different. And I could imagine that it just wasn't the outward but the inward that he was attracted to. And again, he can't do anything. He just thinks, I have to do my job here, and I think this one's the winner. <laughs> and so all of a sudden, she finds favor in his eyes. And so God is so good here that he can work even in the heart of this eunuch, this, this, this pagan, if you will, this, this Gentile, that was the keeper of the harem, that he would draw her in. And he knew what he had to do to get her in front of the king. He, he, he ends up playing an important role in this whole scheme of how God works. That, that he would begin to do stuff in this person's life, in this woman's life, to, because she has found favor in his eyes to move her up the ladder, to prepare her for, for being in this position. And again, as I'm studying this, as I'm looking at this, I'm going, but it's not a good situation here, this poor young girl. Again, is she scared to death? that she has been taken from her parents, taken from her, or not her parents, but her uncle, cousin. And, and these things are happening in her life. But now she's taken. And Haggai gives her a year-long beauty treatment. And again, man, ladies are probably going, oh, yes, that'd be awesome. It's like, maybe it would be. But look at what he's preparing her for. And again, to me, it's just sad that this poor young woman is being prepared, not just in, in all these dietary plans and all these perfumes and all these cosmetics, and I'm sure that there was some etiquette that is being taught there, but she is being trained for one thing, and that is satisfy the king sexually, to find favor in his eyes, that he would remember her and remember her name because that is the only way that one of these young ladies would become queen if he remembered her name. The one that pleased him the most would take that position. And so again, we have to see God's providence here and how he's taking care of this whole situation that Haggai has given Esther special treatment and is in the best place in, in the house and among everybody else, that he brings in all these people to take care of her. 
And it says in verse 10 that Esther had not revealed her people or family, for Mordecai had charged her not to reveal it. Had, had Esther not been born into the Jewish race, she could never have been prepared for a time such as this to save a nation, to save a people. And again, it would appear that, that the, the, the cousins' silence of their nationality was, was, was directed by God to keep it under wraps, to not be exposed for the work that was before them for whatever reason, however God decided to do that. I mean, there was plenty of anti-Semitism going on in the Gentile world, even in those days. And Mordecai, perhaps, his motive was to save their own life. But God had another plan. Mordecai and Esther may have wanted to live in peace, but God had other plans for them. And he would use them in not too long from now to save the people, God's people. Because again, that, that edict was going to go out through all the provinces. So it wasn't just the people in Shushan or in the northern kingdom that were going to get killed. It would have went all the way down to Jerusalem. Verse 12. It says, each woman's each young woman's turn came to go to King Ahasuerus after she had completed 12 months' preparation according to the regulation for the women. For thus were the days of their preparation uh, appointed, six months with oil and myrrh and six months with perfume and preparation for beautifying women." Thus prepared, each young woman went to the king, and she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the woman's quarters to the king's palace. In the evening, she went, and in the morning, she returned to the second house of the women in the custody of Shashgas, the king's eunuch, who kept the concubines. She would not go to the king again unless the king delighted in her and called her uh, by name. Now, when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihail, uh, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his daughter, to go to the king, she requested nothing but that Haggai, the king's eunuch, the custodian of the women's advise, advised, and Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. So Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into the royal palace in the tenth month, which is the month of Tubeth in the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther more than all the other women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins. So, she, so he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king made a great feast, the feast of Esther, for all his officials and servants, and he proclaimed a holiday in the provinces and gave gifts according to the generosity of the king. And so now it was the turn for each young woman to go in. Now, again, it tells us that this process took 12 months of preparation. Was it because they needed a lot of work? <laughs> No, they were already beautiful. But they, they again, it's not like today where they shower and do stuff like that. They, they, people didn't shower back then like people do today. They had to do, mask it with perfumes and do all these kinds of things. But some suggest that it was a 12-month period so that that would be enough time to make sure that none of these young ladies were actually pregnant at the time. 
that there would be enough time to realize they're virgins. <laughs> and so each night, one of these young women were brought to the king. And again, it's just as, as I'm looking at this and I'm just studying this, I'm going, man, these poor young girls. Again, they've been prepared for this. And again, you have to think that as these eunuchs are preparing them, not only for all the etiquette, but they're preparing them for this sexual encounter. And they go in in the evening, and they come back in the morning, and they, go, they don't go back to their regular harem. Now they're going to the other house of the concubines. And these are ladies now who have had sexual relationships that they're not free to just go and leave. These ladies will be there forever. And I don't think this king is just going to go, you know what, let's just let them all go. It's like, no, nah, I'm not going to let all these beautiful ladies out there. They're all mine. And so again, you see this and you're going, man, the sensuality and all the, 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 the lifestyle that these people were living, this was their life, these kings especially. And you have to think that as much as they had all this at their disposal, that, that after a while, man, it's just faceless, it's just non-emotional, it's just going through the motions, it's just, just taking care of these needs. All to satisfy. And yet, through all of this, I can guarantee you, as this guy is doing these things and continuing to do these things, that again, none of these girls were satisfying him until this one young lady. This is the one that won his favor. There was no one else like her, <laughs> in other words. And when he saw her, he decided, Vashti who? <laughs> this one's it, man. And it's interesting because, again, a year after all this starts happening, the year now is, is 479 B.C. Four years has now passed since Vashti has been deposed. <laughs> and all of this is happening. And when it says that he loved Esther, it wasn't just like love at first sight. I think he, he, he honestly just looked at her and thought there's something different about her. The response was, was from the Lord here in one sense that she would be the one that God had chosen somehow in his providence, in his in his in his um, I lost the word. Sovereignty, yeah. And the sovereignty that he was picking this one young lady. There's a scripture in Acts 15, 18. It says, known to God from eternity are all his ways, are all his works. Again, we don't know. I, I don't quite comprehend how this story or why this story is, is going the way it is, but I know it, I understand it. But man, oh man, it just breaks my heart. And so it's worth noting that, again, this, this eunuch that's taking care of her took care of her the best way he knew how. There was something different about this young lady, and he was going to take care of her. And he, he not only told her what the king liked, but he prepared her in how she dressed and how she acted. I don't think she needed all the extra work that maybe some of the other ladies did. But the, the king personally crowns her. And, and now she has become the queen of all the empire. And he, he makes his, this banquet, this feast, this holiday for her. He is just overjoyed with this young woman. Again, it doesn't tell us how old he is. But man, it just kind of breaks my heart that again, this man's probably twice her age. But he is thrilled to at least have a queen around again. Verse 19 to the end here says, <clears throat> When virgins were gathered together a second time, Mordecai sat within the king's gates. Now Esther 
had not revealed her family and her people, just as Mordecai had charged her. For Esther obeyed the command of Mordecai as, as when she was brought up by him. In those days, while Mordecai sat within the king's gates, two of the king's eunuchs, Bigthan and Teshresh, gatekeepers, became furious and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. So the matter became known to Mordecai, who told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. And when the inquiry was made into the matter, it was confirmed, and both were hanged on a gallows. And it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. And so now we see that Mordecai is within the king's gates. He has been promoted somehow to be a part of this whole thing. And it talked about when the, the, the virgins were gathered the second time. So that first batch that came in was not sufficient enough because, again, he wasn't going to just be true blue to Esther. He was going to continue to have his relationships with all his concubines and all these other virgins. And so now... Again, she's, she still has not revealed anything. And these two eunuchs are furious. And it's quite possible they're upset because they, they love Queen Vashti. And to have Esther come in, and maybe they knew a little bit about her and maybe upset, but they decided that they wanted to lay hands on him. And it wasn't to pray for a healing. Um, they wanted to kill him, assassinate him. <clears throat> and so... Again, when it's made known, she goes and tells him, tells the king, and she says it in Mordecai's name, which again will become important to us. At this time, there's no reward for him, but he is written down in the book of Chronicles when one day he will come across it at just the right time. But it says that they were hung on these gallows, and more than likely, it wasn't like a lynching that we might think. More than likely, it was an impaling um, of these guys and set up to where they just hung that way. And so again, very brutal in, in so many ways, not just in how he takes care of these people, but in just kind of brutal in the fact that these poor young ladies are treated the way they are. And it's just sad. Because, again, those of us who have daughters, those of us who have wives, those who have, you know, again, it's like, man, it's, it, it, it's not what it was cracked up to be. And so let's finish off in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we, we again look.